Proverbs is wisdom, and probably the key phrase is the fear of the Lord, and that occurs about 14 times within this book. That's going to be a very um, necessary idea for you and me to understand so that we can understand this book. Uh, if, if you have to give a key chapter, perhaps it's chapter 4, as God or as the uh, Son there is told to get understanding and get wisdom and to not forget those things. We're very familiar with Proverbs chapter 31 as it deals with the virtuous woman. Now let me tell you... Uh, problem that I have, or I had as I was growing up, uh, when I would read Proverbs 31, and I would read that virtuous woman, I would read that her price was, was far above rubies, and I thought, well, what's ruby cost? So, that's, unfortunately, that's where I was, so hopefully you're not there. There's a wide range of topics covered in this book from how to live life to how to live life married to how to live life with children, how to live life after children, how to live godly ways, and some really deal with idleness and folly and how not to live. And so each one of these verses found within the book of, of Proverbs could almost stand alone. You could, you could flip through there and just sort of blindly pick one, and when you read it, it's going to bear some truth for you. It's interesting how this particular book uh, does that time and time and time again. There's a contrast in this book, and the contrast is the human penman himself. The human writer of the book of Proverbs was most likely Solomon. And he's an excellent teacher. He's a terrible example. So do what he says, just don't live the way he lived. Let's look at the Proverbs of the New Testament for a moment. Do you know where that is? Now you're looking at me like I've never even heard that. The book of James. James chapter 3 is where we're going to begin our sermon this evening. In James chapter 3, uh, James began by writing about the tongue itself, the mouth that we have. He will go through the first 10 verses through there, and at some point he's going to say, around verse 10, he's going to say, with that same mouth we bless God, the Father, and out of the exact same mouth we curse God or curse man who was made in the similitude of God. Now, here's how you can tell that James was from the South. Here's, here's what he writes right after that. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Now, did y'all understand that? Here's what he says. You ought not live one way, praising God this way, and then tearing folks down with your mouth the other way. Boy, if that was just written in Proverbs, it would be great. As a matter of fact, it's written all through Proverbs. Matter of fact, tonight, let's, let's look at this. As his child, as God's child, I'm very concerned with my actions. I want to make sure that the things I do and the way that I do those things are the correct things. And, and there are certain actions that I avoid because I'm a child of God's, right? And am I the only one who very often forgets to guard his mouth? Has anybody's mouth ever gotten them in trouble aside from me? 
Good, me and Stuart are the only two. That's all right. The rest of y'all, about 40 minutes, I'll see you right down front. It, 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 we, we get so caught up in guarding ourselves in one way or another, we let this one slip. And God says, you're going to have to watch your mouth. As a matter of fact, when he writes about it in James chapter 3, he says it's an unruly evil full of, full of deadly poison. We as a society talk a lot. About 35 conversations a day. How many of them are worth having? About three. 25% of our life is, is used in speaking. Per year, that would be about a 53,000-page novel. Yeah, Miss Charlie's looking at me like, You're, there's no way. Yeah, or maybe she's looking at me like, you, write, you speak more than that. Turn any dial you have. You can see uh, talk uh, television shows. You can hear talk radio uh, you can see 300 million cell phones as they go through our society. And as everyone walks down the, the road, we are just like that. Maybe you have a little thing in your ear or both of them in your ear. Because uh, it's not cool to have cords anymore. I don't know if y'all know that or not. Everything is always talking to us. Everything is always putting things inside that sometimes you cannot guard what comes out because... You and I have heard the saying time and time and time again that trash in equals trash out. Words have power. If I were a judge, perhaps I have the ability to stay in execution or deny that stay of execution. Those are some powerful words, especially if you're the guy. Gossip, uh, the power of words, gossip destroys reputations, whether it's mine or, or someone else's. Words that I could make up or, or perhaps just distort some kind of way tear a person's work of their life up forever. Perhaps you're a parent and you say something out of frustration that plants the seeds of self-doubt. Or you're a teacher and you build the confidence of your students. Or, I know we don't have them here in this congregation, but I have had teachers who will break down that confidence. Not by any type of problematic things going on as a, as a rub between me and the teacher, but simply by words. A kind word here or there, or an unkind word here or there. You never know what the power of that word is. What if the Bible told us something about that? Turn over to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 21. You want to see the power in some words? Life and death are in the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death. I didn't know this statistic was real 
Few reputable, reputable sources say it is, so I'm just going to go with it, perhaps. It is. You know, for every word in the book Mein Kampf that Adolf Hitler wrote, for every word in that book, 125 people died in World War II. Life and death are in the tongue. You imagine how many people died through World War II? Let me ask you a question. Turn that coin over for a moment, and let's, let's back away from Adolf Hitler for a moment, and you and I know exactly the account in Acts chapter 2 of how many people were saved by words from Peter. Let me ask you this. Aside from the account that happens in Acts chapter 2, how many people throughout the time of history that you and I have lived in have been saved by those same words from Peter? Because life and death are in the tongue. And it depends on how you're going to use those things. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21 will tell me, Be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, but the, to lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. And once again, James chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. How in the world can you serve God and worship Him and love Him and at the same time hate who He makes? Life and death. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 16. Is that the only place in the book of Proverbs where Saul speaks about the words of a mouth? No. Proverbs 16, 1. The preparation of the heart and the man and the answer of a tongue is from the Lord. Now, now stop right there for a moment. We can prepare our heart and we can have an answer in our mind that is, that is not from the Lord. We can have all manner of ungodliness come out of our mouth and come out of the preparation of our heart. But here, when, when Solomon writes this, he's speaking to one who is truly concerned about following after what God would have him do. I, I never really looked at it very much as a, as a gift from God, but, but speech is valuable. The, the ability to uh, communicate effectively toward others and to others, the exchange of ideas from one person to the other, that's a valuable tool given to us by God. It's because you're special. It's because you're different. Look in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. There God would say to those in the creating uh, world there, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Stop and think for a moment. Does God have the ability to speak to me every single day? Does He have the ability to communicate with me 
every single day? Does he know the words that I can understand so that I can follow him? Absolutely he does. That is a precious gift given to us by God. Notice uh, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 20. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. And the heart of the wicked has little worth. Like pure silver. Sometimes we hear the phrase, the silver-tongued one, don't we? And we automatically think of someone who is trying to con us out of something, who's trying to slick-talk us, but that's not the idea given to us in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 10. That idea is that those words coming out of that man's mouth are pure like silver. They're valuable. Contrast that with the heart of the one who is wicked, and his heart is useless. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 23. Notice here what the Proverbs writer writes. He that rebuketh a man afterward shall find more favor than he that flattereth with his tongue. The Proverbs writer here is going to write this. Let's translate this into 21st century Alabamian. And maybe I'll pick it up too. Sometimes people have to hear what's hard so that they'll be obedient to God. And when they hear that, and when they turn toward that, they'll love you for it. While it won't be present, pleasant at the time, it's better to teach a man than to flatter him. How many times have people sat across tables much like this one? with a brother or a sister who has decided to walk away from God's church and sit across tables like this and plead with them to come back home and plead with them to come back to Christ in which is hope of salvation. James would write that in chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, that one who restores such a one from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death. How valuable are those words, first to the one who is pleading, then to the one who is hearing? How valuable is that, is that experience for the one who is being pled to? And you find him becoming strong in the Lord and doing that exact same thing to someone else who needs to hear it. Those words that are used to restore the fallen brother or sister back to Jesus the Christ are some of the most valuable words you and I can find. Matter of fact, Matthew would speak about it in Matthew chapter 18, beginning about verse 15. If, if there's a fault between you and your brother, then go to him. 
try to correct those things. And, and what if you can't then? Well, then take a couple of witnesses with you. What if you can't then? Take it before the elders of the church there and, and uh, you work those things out. You restore that relationship. Why? Because that is, ladies and gentlemen, what it is all about. Proper relationships the proper way. I can't have an improper relationship uh, with those I am supposed to be value or have value for on this side of eternity and have the proper relationship with God. Doesn't work that way. Once again, James chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. To restore those who have fallen. Look in one more place. Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 7. Here's what you're going to read. The lip of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. We can use our mouths to educate those who are uneducated or undereducated. We live in a society, in a world of people who know about God. They've heard about God. They kind of understand who He is and what He is supposed to be about and uh, maybe that he has had a son to come to this earth and they don't know what that's really all about and, and don't even go toward the Holy Spirit. We also live in a, in a society with people who have, may, may have heard the word God and don't know. We can use our words to educate those who are uneducated or those who were undereducated would be Titus in Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 2 and 3 and following, where he commands by, or Paul commands rather, by the inspiration of God, young, uh, older ladies teach the younger. He goes on down a little further and says, older men teach the younger. Why? Because those things are important. Because those things are, are necessary. It would be Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus would teach the parable. You know that parable. Sower went forth to sow. and Some of the seed fell here and some fell there and some fell this place. And then some fell on good ground and that good ground brought forth a hundred or sixty or thirty fold. Now notice what he says after that. He that hath ears to hear... Let him hear. Those who are striving to become educated, those who are looking for what God has to say, let him hear what he's going to say. It would be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where, God, where Paul would write that God uses the foolishness of preaching. You ever thought of this job as foolish? There are plenty out there who do. There are plenty out there who will ask this question, what other job do you have? There are plenty who, who don't understand the job who will say, you know, those things four hours a week, huh? I'm going to invite you, and since Michael isn't here, I'm going to invite you for him. 
that anytime you think four hours a week, you go with him because he'll run you to death. I think he has 30 hours a day. I don't know where he gets those extra six. If this job is done correctly, it's seen as foolishness. Are you telling me that God can die? I'm telling you, yeah. I'm telling you God came to earth to die. Hmm. A God who can create and sustain would give everything he has to save me? <laughs> Why? Why me? He's going to save a nobody? For what? When we begin to see how valuable our speech is, when we begin to see how valuable our lives are, we begin to look at the question and ask, why would he save me? And it's because of my value. He expects me to speak properly. He expects me to exhort with my mouth. He expects me to not tear down with my mouth. Why? Because that's not what Jesus did. Counterpoint this, this idea of Jesus when he's speaking to that woman. John chapter 4. I've been been studying about her here recently uh, for camp. There's a lot of things that have been sort of coming to light about this woman at the well. Last week we looked at the fact that Jesus took her from those peripheral things that she was trying to pull her focus away and put it back where it was supposed to be. But when Jesus would speak to this woman at the well, he would tell her very difficult things about her life. Truthfully. And for some reason, she never threw the water pot down and walked out. Go tell your husband to come here. I don't have a husband. Yeah, you got that right. You've had five and this one that you're with ain't your husband. That'd be a great time to throw that water pot and walk out. Well, you say we're supposed to worship here, and my folks say we're supposed to worship on the mountain. Who's right? Jesus would say, well, underneath this law. That'd be a great time to throw that water pot and leave. Even when Jesus says about God, he's a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, verse number 24, that's generally where we stop in that particular chapter. But if you'll go on through that particular chapter, what you're going to find out is this. Not only did she not throw the pot, not only did she hear those things in truth about who she is and how much she needs God, but she took him to the rest of the folks who needed to hear it too. He stayed in that village for about three days. He, he, he started a little gospel meeting right there and wasn't really intending to do it. Why? Because of how he said what he said? Kind of. Because of what he said? Surely. 
Because he lived and died underneath the old law, and he knew the book of Proverbs. And he understood this, that life and death's in the tongue, that mankind's going to have to be educated, and that speech is valuable. How many of us, not us in in the town, us right here, how many of us have a hard time with that particular idea? Because we either are focused on what we should be doing or should not be doing, and we let our mouth get the best of us. It's not only about what we should be doing or not doing. It's also about what we should be saying or not saying. If Jesus were here, this is what he'd tell you. You need to be a child of the Father. It's what you need to be. How do I do that? Well, it's, it's pretty easy. Jesus would say, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. Jesus would say, repent and be, or, um, uh, unless you, re- uh, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before God. Jesus would say in Mark chapter 16, and verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus would say in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10, He that lives faithfully, I'll give a crown of life. Jesus would use His mouth to exhort you to come to the Father in the first place or come back to the Father because you need to. Why not come to Him now? while we stand and sing.